Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the pro sports industry, and each week I interview women in the sports business to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the next level faster. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leadership is Female podcast. Today's guest is Adrian Wright. I've heard a lot of things, but I've never heard of a sports venue plus nonprofit co-working space inside of an old Circuit City headquarters. Well, today's guest is going to wow you with ideas and inspire you to collaborate, which will lead to building capacity. Adrian Wright is passionate about collaboration, innovation, and entrepreneurship in the nonprofit space. As president and CEO of U-Turn Inc., she's blessed with the opportunity to help cultivate community building in Richmond, Virginia. She's also the president and co-founder of the Collaboratory of Virginia, Virginia's first co-working ecosystem designed specifically for nonprofits. She has over a decade of experience in talent acquisition, recruitment, leadership development, organizational development, and growth strategy in the corporate small business nonprofit industry. So, wow, that's a mouthful because Adrienne is such a leaderful person. She has done so much for U-Turn, and I'm so excited for you to learn what U-Turn is, how it came to be, and the expansion that came with the collaboration that she brought to the space. So let's get into it. I took about two pages of notes and rewrote the top four takeaways six times because Adrienne drops the knowledge on this episode. I'm so excited for you to listen. So let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Adrienne Wright, CEO of U-Turn in Richmond, Virginia. We are thrilled to have you today and can't wait to learn more about you, your career, the lessons you have for our listeners and the U-Turn organization, which I think is so interesting. So let me pass it to you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. Um, Like you said, Adrian Wright, CEO of U-Turn Incorporated. Previously, U-Turn Sports Performance Academy. So some people see that. Um, We dropped the Sports Performance Academy because we do so much more now. Um, And then I'm also the president and co-founder of the Collaboratory of Virginia. Um, And both of those are located here in Richmond, Virginia. How did you get there? Tell us a little bit about your career journey to become CEO of U-Turn and a big leader in your community. Yeah, it was a rough and bumpy ride. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll be brief about it, but um, I came kind of from a unique background. So I played sports almost my entire life. So since I was four years old playing on a co-ed soccer team, all the way through the collegiate level, and I played rugby in college in Track and field and basketball were my sports. So I'll talk about that in just a minute and how it relates to U-Turn and my my coming to U-Turn. But I started my career in finance and tech. And so I worked for a large um, financial, wealth financial company, and um, then got recruited to a large corporate tech and finance um, uh, company during an acquisition. 
And I thought I was a know-it-all at that point. I was in my early 30s. And I said, or maybe my late 20s, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go into business for myself and I'm going to help small businesses, nonprofits, and religious organizations. And um, I went into consulting. I got a large client at Bethesda, was traveling from Richmond, for those who are familiar with Richmond, Virginia, and D.C., was traveling back and forth to D.C., and it was just painful. It was hard. And at that time, a consultancy local picked me up. And at the same time, um, someone on the CE, um, on the board of U-Turn said, hey, you know, we would also love for you to be on the board um, for U-Turn. And so I dissolved my consultancy, came back to Richmond full time, joined the U-Turn board. At that particular time, uh, we were transitioning the then CEO out. It just wasn't a good fit for him and his family. And I said, you know what? Um, I have a little bit more time now that I'm at this consultancy. Why don't I come in as interim, ex- you know, CEO, see what's going on. And to be completely honest, I was, U-Turn had been around for 24 years, a little over 24 years. And it had had such a bumpy road that I thought there was a chance that I was going to shut it down and sell the property. Um, and we have a large property. <laughs> so um, I came in and within like six to eight weeks, I was like, you guys, there's so much potential here. And the board said, do you want to do this? And I was like, I think I might want to do this. So it was a big leap from, you know, obviously consulting and um, wealth management, finance background and tech background. And I always sat on one side of nonprofit engagement, which was the board side or the donor side. And so this is the first time I was stepping into the other side and leading a nonprofit. But it's now been about five and a half years. So I came on as CEO in January of 2017. And it has been one heck of a ride. Um, and I would say arguably, even coming from finance and tech, the hardest job I've done so far, the most challenging and most rewarding job I've gotten so far in my career. Well, in order for our audience to understand a little bit about how hard and how rewarding this job is, so as president and CEO of U-Turn, it's a 30-year community center that offers sports programming and development for youth and adults, but your, your building that you occupied was an old Circuit City headquarters, Yeah, and you had this vision, as you just briefly touched on, to revamp the space and not only have this sports center, the sports hub, but a multi-purpose building. So tell us what you did and how the building is used and who benefits from that. Yeah. So I'll back up just a little bit and say U-Term was founded by Paul Manning and Tom and Nancy Tuning. And that's important to our community because Tom Tuning is the previous CFO of Dominion Virginia Power, which is a large corporate energy company here in Richmond. He is a philanthropist. Him and his wife now live in North Carolina, and they did wonders by their vision of U-Turn and what it could do for our community and what it could do for youth sports. So um, U-Turn in 2005 bought the Circuit City building when Circuit City was going out of business for us who were 80s and 90s babies. (laughs) We remember that. When Circuit City was going out of business, they bought the entire building, which is 160,000 square feet. They renovated the first floor to become a sports um, performance academy. So we have a 10,000 foot weight room. We have four professional basketball courts, NCAA, open season comes to our building every single year, which is so exciting. Um, and we host a plethora of tournaments and youth sports programming in our building. 
And so we're kind of centrally located in Richmond, Virginia, too. So, you know, we kind of serve every community of Richmond and Richmond's a pretty large city. Um, and so that's super exciting that we were able to do that. When I came on board, we were underutilizing the building. So there's an entire second floor that used to be the corporate offices for Circuit City. And we had a few nonprofits that were operating out of our, our building. There was nothing intentional or strategic about them operating out of the building. They just said, we need space. We're tired of being in a church basement or at our kitchen tables. Can we work out of your building? So when I came on board, I said, you know what, we probably could do more with utilizing the building from an efficiency standpoint and from a cost perspective. We needed to utilize the entire building, but also to be able to put more money. So to be able to cover more overhead so that more money was going towards our sports programming and community programming. Um, and so at that time, I was looking around and saying, all right, what are some opportunities for to utilize some corporate partners and whatnot? And I was, you know, um, Emily, I was walking the building just one afternoon and I had walked the inside of the building and then I walked the outside of the building and I was like, this is it. We're going to utilize this building to be co-working space and be capacity building for other nonprofits. That's what we need. We need more capacity and they need more capacity. And so I started the planning um, to launch the Collaboratory of Virginia, which is a capacity building co-working space and ecosystem for nonprofit development. And so what that means is that we're just centered around collaboration and a lot of the nonprofits that are now, but we're at full capacity. We have a renovation that's coming up so that we can have more, even more capacity for nonprofits. But a lot of the nonprofits that came to work out of our building and share resources and overhead and space also collaborate with us on partner programming on U-turn side. So to help serve our youth, young adults and families. So it's just been this huge collaborative effort that allowed us to be able to not only utilize our building in the most efficient way, but also serve the community in an even larger way by just sharing our space. Wow. Okay. So there's so many things in what you do that are just incredible. Well, the use of a building that was not the original intention, right? Taking over the Circuit City headquarters that went out of business and rather than becoming this dilapidated building in your community, it's now the community hub. And my next question was, how do youth and adult sports intersect with your mission at U-Turn? But you totally answered that already in that it's this collaboration and that a lot of the organizations that are working in the co-working space are serving the youth that are playing on your beautiful courts downstairs. Yeah, so we're partnering with them in a lot of different ways. And you know, one of the one of the missions of U-Turn was to not only be sports, so that will always be our foundation, right? We feel like sports is one of the best vehicles to mentor youth and young adults um, all the way through college age. So that will always be our foundation. But what we found that families were um, were hoping for, and there was a gap, was there's other programming that. Um, you know, youth that are participating in sports want to participate in robotics, art programs, music, performing arts, all of those things, you know, they kind of help shape a well-rounded athlete and help give them extracurricular, especially as they're going to college and as they're moving into the working world to have other avenues that they can dip into and dive into. And so that's now what we offer. And so we're able to collaborate with some of these other nonprofits to do, to be able to pull in what they do best and then combine it with what we do best to offer something even greater to our community in one spot. So yeah, so it's it's been, there's been challenges with that. There's challenges with collaboration, but, um, but it's been rewarding for the most part. 
I mean, what, what a vision. And as our workplaces continue to evolve and include options to work from home or work from an alternate space rather than your home office every day, what are the benefits of co-working and what have been the biggest successes that have come out of the co-working space that you helped create, which again is the Collaboratory of Virginia? Yeah, so I will talk about this in two ways. One, just about co-working space in general. I'm all about capacity building, and this is like something that I'm pulling from finance and the tech world, right? So coming out of that world, I said, why don't more people utilize space spaces in a collaborative way? It is just the most efficient. It's where the world's going. Even, even with the pandemic, the pandemic slowed it down a little bit, but we can see it's coming back fast, right? So people understand even more the reason to share space and share resources on the for-profit side and the nonprofit side. So just from a big big picture perspective, it is the most efficient the most efficient thing that companies can do if they can do it. Um, most companies think that they need to have their own space, and it's just not true. And employees want variety, right? They want to have a second place. We've been working on Starbucks and coffee shops for years. Now we're just going to be more intentional about it. So that's just my, that's my preach about just co-working in general and that it's not going away. Um, but as it relates to nonprofits and even for-profit companies that are supporting nonprofits, there's a huge opportunity there for corporate companies to come in and see what nonprofits are doing in some of these spaces that they share space with. They can get to know the operators, they can get to know staff, they can understand the operations a little bit better. So just working in an environment where you get to work side by side with other companies, it allows those organizations to grow and think outside of the box because they only know what they know, but now that you're working alongside some other folks, not seeing it as a competition, but seeing it as like, oh my gosh, we can all learn and grow together. Um, and that's a really unique thing that can only happen organically when you're working in the same space. So I just think co-working in general, and we created an environment where it's it's more of a, and I hate to um, use some of the bigger co-working companies as um, like our muse, but it is really important that there are multiple different things for employees to do in that space. So not only co-work, but have an area where it's more social, have an area where there's meeting rooms where you can take more conference rooms, confidential meetings, right? That's important, but also a place for recreation and for socialization. So a cafe is in our space and we also have a large fitness center. You can also go onto the tur indoor turf fields and the basketball courts and just release some energy. Some We see some people who get off of a meeting and they go and shoot hoops in their work clothes. And you can tell they're just trying to get through some strategic thoughts or they're just like, you know what, I'm going to change my scenery up a little bit. So that's also important is to give people some creative um, spaces within a co-working space so they can think outside of the box and continue to build capacity for their organizations. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this and I love um, the efficiency and then the word you use variety and when you're in a company, you're working with the same individuals every day. If you're in the, that same office and after a period of time, you start to think and recycle those same ideas. So being a part of this larger space where you're exposed to other thought leaders could only lead to greater advances in your own company. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you offer programming. So aside from basketball courts and the cafe and meeting spaces, you offer programming. What type of knowledge or programming do you see that's most needed by employees and employers today? 
Yeah, I would say leadership training, um, we can never have enough of it, right? Because leadership is just changing, you know, every single year, the way that we lead, what's what's considered effective leadership, we're changing as a society, um, every generation learns and operates differently and has different things that they value. So as leaders, we have to continue to adapt. And so leadership development and leadership training is never going to go away. And so we do a lot of that, um, and we offer some of that programming, not only to nonprofits, but to individuals. Um, but then we also offer capacity building. Um, we have this, this is something that I keep dear to myself to kind of keep myself in check, but I always say, Adrian, are you operating in scarcity or in, in abundance? And when you're operating in abundance, it means you're always looking for opportunities to build capacity. And that doesn't always have to be just tangible ways. It could just be of the mind, right? Let me think creatively. Let me think innovatively. Um, there are, there's another way to solve this problem. Or there's another way to go about this solution than what I'm thinking about right now. Um, and so we have a lot of programs that are centered around capacity building and thinking of creative ways to build capacity so that organizations, whether it be a nonprofit and they're thinking about building capacity from a funding perspective, we help with that. Um, or from a staffing perspective, you know, everyone so expects nonprofits to work um, with really low staff and, you know, really low resources. So thinking out of the box and how can you build those resources, but also as individuals and as employees and companies to build capacity in the way that we work. So how can we offer more to the company, but also continue to build more for ourselves? And you can do that at the same time. They don't have to counteract each other. So um, we offer some of that programming as well for, for individuals. And then, of course, you know, helping youth and young adults understand their full capacity is what we say, um, so that they're taking advantage of everything that's in front of them. So you talked a little bit about leadership training. Do you have any lessons from that training that you can share with the audience, quick hitters that we can really think about today to impact our businesses? Yeah, I would say, you know, a couple of things that I always <laughs> that I always focus on are really simple. Um, in order to be a leader, you have to first be prepared to lead yourself, right? So you have to be prepared to say, one, I think this is, you know, kind of a no-brainer, but it's a good reminder for all of us. You know, we can't expect anyone to do something or take something on that we're not willing to do. So we got to put it in practice. Um, we also have to make sure that we're leading ourselves and that we're teaching others to lead themselves as well. Um, great leaders produce other leaders. That's the result. That's the outcome. Um, and so it's, it's not the goal to always have followers. The goal is for people to be able to build that capacity to start to lead teams themselves. And leaders don't always have to have the title. They don't always have to be in a certain role. They don't have to be leading companies. Um, a lot of times in, in our organization at UTR, and I say this to our staff a lot, and um, we all laugh about it because um, now it's kind of a running joke, but I always say lead up, right? So I tell folks who report to me, you need to manage me, right? So that's about, you know, me making sure that you set expectations, make sure that you're asking for the right things. And so the same way that we have to advocate for ourselves, we have to um, display that for the folks that we're leading. And so that's, it's, it's, it seems like a no-brainer for a lot of us, but a lot of us just don't put it into practice or it's, you know, we need that good reminder to say, lead yourself first um, and then also lead up. Such great reminders and ones that have like circulated in this ecosystem recently with 
you know, hey, my my boss, I'm having issues um, in, in these areas. It's like we talked to him about it. You know, we talked to her about it. How do you need to be led as an individual so you can lead your teams? You know, it's still this this structure within our organizations, um, but it, it, the, it can't be, you know, the, the person at the top carrying everyone. You've yeah. got to lean up. That's perfect. Yeah. Hey, leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. We are all busy professionals, right? That's why I'm always looking for the best products that are both convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. Mobot is a beautifully designed water bottle and foam roller in one. This company is female founded and led, which is huge for us at Leadership is Female and supports our core philosophy to elevate women. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp, and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of camp to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps so much with recovery and it feels good. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code Leadership is Female to get 15% off. Support Lanny, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness product. Visit mobot.com and use the code LEADERSHIPISFEMALE to get 15% off today. I just thought of this, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say it, just because it it fits into the climate and some of the just culture that we're experiencing right now, is transparency is such a big thing. And so a lot of times as leaders, we're afraid to be too transparent or we're afraid of, you know, what our teams, how they might respond to something. And the reality of it is, is that again, um, fear gets the best of us. And so most individuals and teams want to know what's going on um, so that they can buy in and then they can support the the larger organization. And so I just wanted to to say that out loud is that a lot of folks, you, you can never be, you can never be too transparent. When in doubt, say it. I love that you brought that up. The next generation is used to knowing what everybody's doing. Like right here on our phones, we can check in on our friends on social media. I mean, our whole life becomes transparent. And so that expectation transcends the workplace. And for, you know, us that are further along in our career, we might not be used to sharing as much as, um, might be required. So it's, it's good when in doubt share and, um, such a, such a great tip for the leaders on this, on this podcast. So many of our listeners work for organizations and professional sports teams in this industry. We've got a strong initiative to give back to our communities. What are some key directives that you can share 
in partnering in the nonprofit space so that it feels like a win-win. This is going to sound kind of like a religious word, but I don't mean it this way. Um, I think that the work that we have to do in serving communities and working with nonprofits is to be redemptive, right? So to kind of see the work that we do or the contributions that we make, if you're working for a corporate company or you're working for a large sports organization, and you want to work with a nonprofit, see that work is, start to think about that work before you initiate it as, is this redemptive or not? And redemptive really means when I'm giving, can I also sit on the other side? So am I giving for the purpose of not just for these folks to receive or for the ultimate user group to receive, but it's also so that I receive something, right? And that there's people behind me that will also reap the benefits of what I'm doing now. So making sure that it's full circle so that we're not just creating givers and getters, but we're also, we're, we're creating a community that's redemptive and we're all serving each other. So um, again, that's some of the work that we do that we help corporate companies and nonprofits realize that the work that they need to do needs to be um, circular and not just a straight line going back and forth. Um, but it needs to serve kind of everybody within their community. Um, Can you give us an example of a, sure. of a program within U-Turn that is redemptive? Yeah, sure. So I would say we try to make everything. We try to take, now I shouldn't say that we, we do it perfectly every time, but we try to take the perspective of let's try to get closer and closer to this work being redemptive. And so a perfect example would be any of our sports programming. I'll use a simple one, right? So we put on a basketball program. It's a clinic. It's in order to improve the skills of the athlete. Well, if there's not an opportunity for that athlete to give feedback back to their coaches, right? What are you learning? What, what, how are you developing and how can I develop as a coach? That's making it redemptive because the coach is saying, not only am I here to give something to you, but you actually have a responsibility to give something back to me. Um, And at any point, I could be sitting on your side. This is not about your age. This is about skill and development and development never ends no no matter how old we get. So we can always improve our skills. And so that coach is still staying in in a posture and a place to receive and to develop themselves. And so that also teaches the athlete that I also have something to give. So as I'm continuing to get, I immediately start to think of opportunities to give and it makes that um, process redemptive so that they're not always in a position to say, I'm always getting something and I'm never in a position to give something. Um, So we want to set that up in the environment, even at a simple level, um, so that, you know, everyone in that particular program is prepared to give and to get. What an amazing lesson also on feedback, Mm -hmm. setting up not only the, those players, to give and receive feedback through their entire career, which is a big sticking point for a lot of people. And then the coaches continuing to get that later in life. I can't imagine the change that transcends the basketball court. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. What are the biggest lessons you've learned about collaboration? Gosh, so many, so many lessons. I will say the first one, this is the elephant in the room for for folks who have taken on collaboration. And as soon as I say it, you know, they roll their eyes and they're like, oh, collaboration is because most people who take on the real work of collaboration have already have heartache associated with it. That's, That's just what it is. Collaboration is hard because it requires sacrifice. Right. In order, you think about any type of partnership. Um, we could even think about like marriages or relationships. Anything that takes 
one party and another party coming together to do something greater, it means you got to leave something behind. And so collaboration is hard because for the most part, we come into collaboration thinking I'm coming with my full plate and I'm expecting to continue to push on with my full plate. But the reality of it is is that there's some stuff we're going to take off of our plates in order to combine to make a bigger, more efficient plate that's going to be greater than what we had on our own. And so what that looks like from a day-to-day perspective is that means sometimes your opinions um, or your thoughts or suggestions are like, you know what, we're going to table that or we might even take that off the plate completely. And so as a leader and as somebody who values collaboration, we have to go into those conversations or those um, initiatives with that in mind and ready to take something off of our plate, maybe even identifying what we're willing to sacrifice before even walking into those collaborative efforts Um, and knowing that it's going to be hard because we all got egos, right? We all think that like all of our ideas are great, Um, but we know that we're we're coming together for a greater benefit, that the combination of multiple ideas can create something even greater than we could on our own. So yeah, it's really, it's really difficult. And I would say that's the greatest lesson that I've learned and I continue to learn is that it's worth it, um, but don't go into it thinking that it's going to be an easy road. It'll be a difficult one. So what advice do you have for sports organizations that have space they want and need to use inside their buildings to be operational 365 when the team isn't playing at the facility or you're not selling tickets to an event? Where should we start? Yeah. So I would say, I don't, I don't know how this would work logistically for every single organization, but this is just a creative thought, okay, without me having to flesh it out so much. I would love to see more sports facilities or more sports organizations utilize their building for the community, right? So bring in nonprofits. Nonprofits typically, and obviously I'm passionate about nonprofit growth and, and development, but nonprofits are part of the entire cycle for a community. So when you think about the business community, you think about the sports and entertainment community, part of the community, you think about um, neighborhoods, you think about religious organizations, nonprofits have a tendency to be forgotten. And people think, oh, it's just about like serving a certain demographic. No, it's about serving the entire community. So giving them a space to be collaborative and then also giving them a space so that they get a certain picture or perspective of the world which they typically don't. So a lot of times nonprofits and um, sports organizations are only interacting on the sponsorship level or the donor engagement level. So they might come to a big event, right? And then they don't see any of those people ever again. Well, how cool would it be for nonprofits to be invited to work in those spaces? And going back to that word redemptive, for that nonprofit to see how they can also serve that sports um, organization. So it's not just one way. So the sports organization giving that nonprofit, you know, funding or donor money or being able to support one of their initiatives. If they were able to actually work in their space and get to know those leaders a little bit better, that nonprofit would better understand how they can serve them too. And um, so that's just a creative thought is to be able to use spaces for um, organizations that typically would not have that type of space to work out of, um, you know, Monday through Friday um, when it's not being used. Yeah, great thoughts there. And again, I think you're opening our minds to that redemptive process of how can we serve each other rather than the give and the get. Okay. You're an incredible leader and you've given us so much on this podcast before we do the final four questions. What's next for you? 
Yeah. Um, you know what? I try to, I try to stay open-handed with this, right? So I have my own, you know, kind of strategic plan. Um, I always say I stay open-handed because I am willing to kind of embrace and take on any opportunity that serves our community a little bit better. You know, there's a, there's a quote, um, that I love from, uh, Maya Angelou that says, once you get give, and then once you learn, teach, and so just to keep that posture, no matter what's coming my way, I want to be able to continue to give back to the community that's also serving me um, because it's to my benefit. And so, you know, for folks who are coming after me and you know my kids and um, for their benefit, too. So I always want to keep that posture and I'm always open to whatever's next. Right. So I'm always planning. I'm, I'm a strategy person, so I love to plan and I love to have a strategy and an approach towards something. But I also keep my hands open to say I'm open to that strategy changing and I'm open to that plan changing. So um, for me, um, it means continuing to serve whatever community I belong to um, is what's next. Um, and also, you know, I plan on being at U-Turn for a while. And so we're going to continue to grow the organization and try to have a bigger and better impact year after year. Um, but I will say my nieces um, that are very local, they do love coming to the facility. And so typically um, they'll come in and be like, I'm Adrian, are we going to go and see the big basketball players today? You know, because we have some, some professional athletes that come back to our facility on a regular basis. And so this is the season where there some of the collegiate athletes and some of the um, professional athletes from overseas are coming back into our building. And so this is a big treat. This is a good time for them to come in and kind of see the big athletes, not the medium-sized athletes, but the really big, giant athletes. So yeah, they love, they love to come in and interact with them. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. That's yeah. It's great when the, when the work community expands in a personal way as well, like you're serving the community, but your own community of your family, um, getting to be a part of it and seeing your success, I'm sure is rewarding. And then also fun in the environment in which you work. Okay. Final four questions. What is your best piece of advice for women today so that they can level up tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, this is going to be a little bit of a loaded one. Um, the first one is, is never stop advocating for yourself and never stop advocating for other women. The work is never done. We're not even close to getting to where women are treated equitably. So never stop doing that. The other one is that as women, we have very unique gifts that we bring to leadership, but we have to start advocating for us to be treated as just leaders. I love to say it's, it's, you know, this is what I said in sports because I played a lot of co-ed sports growing up and I played a lot of sports that, you know, I was competing right alongside men, right? I truly believe there's sports that guys can do and girls can do and all that great stuff, right? I can get into the little parts of that. But I would say that at one point I wanted to stop being called a great female basketball player. I wanted to just be a great basketball player. So I would say the biggest thing for us as women is to start to just advocate for ourselves in those spaces as if we belong there, not just that we've been invited or that, you know, we're being included, but that we belong. You know, I know DEI is a big thing for a lot of organizations. Um, and so we're starting to say DEI and B, which means, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so that starts with us. We have to truly feel like inside we belong there. Um, and so we're not just being included at the table or we're not just being included in this organization or in this initiative or this leadership group. 
but we belong there and that our skills and abilities and unique perspective is needed for that organization to grow. I love that you added the and B. I hadn't heard that yet yeah. because pe- people don't really understand. I've seen um, the term equity or like what that means or what that means for the individual. So adding and calling belonging at the end um, is really like, I don't know, this is a little rough to say, but it's like a gut punch, like D E I and B, <laughs> you know, like belonging in this space, give you the full body, like goosebumps. I guess every time. And I can't take credit for that. You know, I've heard it from several different leaders, but I think that it's starting to build traction is that people are saying it's not just enough to be included. You need to know that you belong and that this organization actually needs your skill and ability in order to grow and go to the next level. And so women, as women, our perspective and our unique skill and ability as women belongs. It belongs in the court, it belongs in the field, and it belongs in the corporate office. And it belongs in leadership. It does. It does. And a couple of softball questions now after that hard hitter. That was just incredible. Where are you traveling to next? I have a um, trip to San Diego planned um, at the end of summer that I cannot wait for. So San Diego is one of my favorite cities. Um, My dad's side of the family is from California. And so, and I'm obviously on the East Coast for the most part. So any opportunity to travel to the East Coast, um, I mean, to the West Coast, um, I love. So yeah, that's my next trip. And what's your pump up song? So anything Missy Elliott gets me going. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It did just the beginning, like the first five seconds of any Missy Elliott song. I'm like, oh, I'm here. I'm with it. I'm ready to go. Wow. I can see you jam into that before you like hit the presentation to the board and they are just, you are ready to give and they are ready to just like take in all that energy. Yeah. And then you gave us an awesome quote by Maya Angelou, but do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes is by Maya Angelou. You know, when you get, you give. And once you learn, you teach. Um, but another one is from Henry Ford. And it's really simple. I love really simple, just kind of, it kind of hits you uh, and what it really means. But there's a Henry Ford quote that I've been quoting since I think I was in middle school. And it was like anything, I might butcher it right now, but anything, um, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So it really means the work starts within. There is nothing that you can't do um, unless you believe you can't do it. So whether you think you can't or you can, you're correct. You're right. I'm so happy you brought that up again because that's that's such an oldie but a goodie. Mm-hmm. And it's so true because what you're putting out in the universe, what you're believing that you can become, you will. Well, Adrian, I can't thank you enough for joining us today on the Leadership as Female podcast. You are an incredible leader with such a diverse workplace and incredible ideas. And I think we're all better for listening to this and really thinking about how we can connect our communities with our sports organizations to create something completely full circle. Thanks, Emily. This has been such a treat. Thanks for having me. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, ask yourself, are you operating in scarcity or abundance? The first step to capacity building is operating in abundance and allowing yourself to think creatively. Number two, 
teach others to lead themselves. The goal is not always to have followers, but to build the capacity of other leaders. Number three, collaboration is hard and requires sacrifice. It means you have to leave something behind. Be ready to take something off your plate in order to collaborate successfully. And number four, in redemptive work, think about the work and think if you can sit on the other side and still receive the benefits. When you can, it's truly redemptive and the development of that work and that idea never ends. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.